Ashburton. Can we please get a big round of applause for Calvin L and Hannah Spear, the host of Counterspin Media. Well, Ashburton, you made it. Well done. We were a bit worried there at six o'clock. Are you going to show up? And uh, luckily for you, we added you to the list because you weren't part of the official tour, but uh, we had some great Ashburton people reach out to us wanting us to stop. So we couldn't say no. So thanks to Perry and everybody else that has made tonight happen. Give them a round of applause. So uh, there is um, a really good um, update. We were on page number three in your local newspaper today, The Guardian. So again, thanks to Perry and uh, the reporter. And it was a very balanced article. So we weren't... It won't last long. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't called conspiracy theorists. We were called alternative theory media. Oh. So that's a win. So that was very good. New buzzword. Um, and what else can we tell you? There has been a little bit of heckling uh, by people online and threats, I think, from uh, trolls to turn up at this event. Um, but we'll leave Carl Bromley to tell you a bit more about that later on. Um, Calvin, do you want to tell them a little bit about how the tour's been going? The tour's been going great, actually. We've had pack houses mostly all the way through. Um, we've had a lot of uh, people sharing their stories, and it's pretty heartbreaking, I must admit something the mainstream media is not showing anybody, so of course those who are only uh, dieting on mainstream media don't get to see the reality on the ground. We're lucky we actually come out to see you, we speak with you, we hear what you're saying and we give you a chance because this is your platform after all to get up and have your say, local issues and the solutions you guys are creating for them which is amazing. We've found a lot of people uh, getting together uh, within the meetings and then they realise their neighbour just around the road thinks the way they do and they didn't realise it. Imagine those two years of don't talk to your neighbour, don't go outside, watch the TV so we can brainwash you. That would have been so much different if people realised the person just around the road was just like them. So it's, um, it's good that New Zealand is starting to reconnect and the mainstream media are losing the narrative. We have it now and they are shit scared. I can tell you now, they really are. Um, so much so that they've now got a barrage of a lot of different things. Well, monkey pox is right. What the hell does that come from? Long COVID to um, basically cover up all the jab injuries and the uh, adverse reactions for that. So there's a litany of lies unfolding. But the best thing about it, you just it's so in your face now. Even the, the mediates who sit there and watch media um, can't deny it anymore. There's so many questions left unanswered. I'm still waiting to see the unredacted Pfizer contract that she signed us up to. I'm still waiting to see the isolated virus from any patient anywhere in the world. It does not exist. It never did. COVID-19, like I keep saying, is like a brand name, like Chanel number no. 5 or Nike. It was a psychological operation to make you scared, run to be saved, get jabbed, and boom. That's where your problem started. So this is the reality of things, and no one has proven us wrong yet. Media can come after us, they can call us right-wing ideology and all sorts, but they cannot prove us wrong. And that, I like. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, so a lot of, um, 
this tour was inspired by what happened in Wellington and Picton. So hands up any of you who made it across to Wellington. Awesome. And did many of you get to Picton? Awesome. And uh, maybe you went even up to Christchurch, because Christchurch had a good stand in the park too. Yeah, so a lot of you are obviously getting involved and getting out uh, into the real world, which is great to see. Uh, Wellington was so amazing to see all the people coming together, helping each other, building up a village in a very short space of time. And of course, it was very, very depressing to see how the police came in and just smashed it. And it was even actually more upsetting in some ways, the fact that 120 uh, members of parliament just ignored us. And did anybody see Jacinda Ardern's recent speech at Harvard? Yes. Did you visit the toilet afterwards to pu puke your guts out? <laughs> well, I actually sat through the torturous uh, 25 minutes or whatever it was, um, and it was very much full of woke kind of platitudes um, and a lot of talk about, you know, being kind and talking to one another and trying to bridge the divide and not allowing the um, big tech to spread disinformation. And of course, uh, so this week we had, you know, one of her trolls, I don't know if you've heard of Byron C. Clark, but he's now supposedly this disinformation expert. Uh, so he likes to troll our pages or just stalk us basically and then try and... He spends a lot of time actually on Twitter um, reporting what we're saying. And so I invited him for a coffee in Christchurch because that's where he lives. And guess what? He didn't want to come. <laughs> so, so much for the left and their, um, you know, their minions. To, uh, they talk about wanting to bridge this divide and actually understand what our side is talking about, but then you try and invite them for a civil conversation and they don't want to do that. So it's a massive part of what this is uh, all about, like what Calvin was saying, is giving you guys a voice, giving you guys a platform where you can tell us what's going on because mainstream media and the politicians are completely censoring alternative views at the moment. And um, that's what a lot of people are now waking up to. Of course, Facebook is just eviscerating people left, right and centre. Um, and I don't know, have many of you heard of the story about Graham Phillip? We've been sharing the story along the way because he was actually uh, imprisoned on December the 8th. Uh, he still has not had a trial or been charged with anything. His wife was beside herself. She couldn't get any answers and the local politicians weren't helping her. Uh, he was very outspoken against uh, the COVID narrative and then he would... Um, start protesting in Taupo and also wanted to get through to the supermarket but of course there was a police blockade and he was confronted there by the police and the third time that he was confronted by the police was because he had worn a snorkel mask and life jacket downtown yeah. telling people that I'm wearing the life jacket for your safety so you don't drown in the lake. <laughs> and so that was the type of humour that he's got obviously raising awareness about the, the um, stupidity of masks. So then um, the police raided his home at 7 o'clock in the morning and took him, he was still in his pyjamas, they didn't even let him get changed, and so he went um, into remand and he was then in Spring Hill Prison and he was even upgraded to high security uh, because he was a nuisance to them basically and he was put into a cell with an um, attempted murderer and then when COVID apparently broke out in the jail he was moved to an isolation unit uh, where he wasn't allowed to go outside because he refused to wear a mask. And they said he's got a broken window, so he's getting enough fresh air. The most concerning part about it is that a lot of the information surrounding the case is suppressed. So we don't even know 
what is going on, what he's actually being charged with or suspected of being the, of doing. So that's a concern because if it can happen to him, it can happen to all of us. How many people can get snatched off the road for on suspicion of something, even if they've got no facts, and then they go through a long road to clear their name? Yet, if the government does something, they can just change it like that. They just get away with murder, because that's exactly what's happening now. There's got to be some decent cops out there. I keep appealing to them. Make an arrest. There is so much evidence, it's unbelievable. The people will have your back if you just start arresting some prick for crying out loud. So I just, just the final thing about that uh, Graham Phillips story is that his wife has not been able to go and see him because she's not triple jabbed. And um, they're allowed to speak for five minutes a week on the phone. So the good news is there that they do have a good legal team now, so hopefully he'll be able to at least be bailed home and then they can work on, on the case. But, um, yeah, it's just something that... Yeah, we really want to bring to your attention um, because, yeah, as you all probably know, Calvin was also arrested last October. Um, and I'm at the cool club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, people like Lee and... Hang on, you haven't and, finished that. You haven't finished that. Oh, sorry. Oh, he, was, he was released without charge. Boom. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. So, but the police are really getting heavy-handed, yeah, with uh, Carl and Lee as well. And um, who, who... Oh, and even... Um, Farmer James, who will hopefully be speaking down the track, he, he's also had police uh, come to his door. So, um, you know, all these people that are speaking out are getting the real uh, sharp end of, of the law coming down towards them. So, But the good news is that we're going to keep going no matter what they do. Um, the police all know about this tour and they've been emailed and they're supposed to come and check up on us all that we're all safe. Uh, so if you do see the police out there, don't worry. They're just, they're just checking up for your safety. We've got decals on top of the bus for the police helicopter. So <laughs> can't have them myself. Yeah, so if you haven't already, um, please share your story if you've got a, you know, a mandate story. How many, have actually, how many of you have actually been mandated out of a job or you've lost your job because of COVID? Yeah, it's repeated everywhere. And how many of you... Um, know somebody else that has had an adverse reaction to this experimental jab. Just hold there because we'd like to get this and we'd like to bring Jacinda's attention to what she's done. No one has taken a poll like this. Colmar Bronson, eat your heart out. This is New Zealand and this is real. Thanks guys. And how many of you know somebody who's actually passed away because after they've had the, the gene therapy? It's not a therapy. Yeah. A bioweapon, let's call it what yeah, it is. Exactly. Lethal injection. Yeah. Um, Clot shot, Satan stab. <laughs> and finally, how many of you know somebody who has actually allegedly, or, or just, you know, it's been said to you by the medical uh, practice that they have died of COVID? Not with, of. Yeah, so two, two, two of you maybe know someone who's died of COVID. Yeah, I mean, we don't know, but told you that anyway, that's what yeah. they've said it is, right? So it's far, far less than um, all of you, all of what you know from your own personal experience uh, compared to this, this jab. And of course, uh, Linda Warden from the Health Forum NZ has given us these placards to take along with us because uh, it's just unbelievable the amount of um, carnage out there and that, what we're seeing. And it's very, very heartbreaking. It is real as much as they try and tell us that it's imagined. And, of course, the experiment doesn't finish till I think, it's June next year. So long-term effects still to come. 
when they've smashed your immune system and the winter starts hitting, let's see how many people are, see how many we're going to drop dead. For all those people who say that uh, the jab's fine, put me in your will for five years. <laughs> Just five years. And then, if you're still alive after that time, and you've kept up, because you are the hardware, and the jab is the software upgrade that they're trying to get you to do. You've got to become medical junkies. So if you survive, I'll say, hey, for you, that was right. So I think I'm going to make a telly, literally. Um, I've been on those wheels, just saying. Um, another question I've got uh, that, that I'm interested in knowing the answer to that I haven't asked before, is there anybody here that's never heard of Counterspin and that they're here with a friend who they think is a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> <laughs> you might not want to admit it, but... I would just like to. Oh, I just one hand. <laughs> yes. Because when we come back, we'd love it if you all brought a friend who's a doubter, who's a hater, and just you know, just to get them in a room. Sorry, heckler. Yeah. Just to show them that we're not as uh, scary and crazy as they think we are. But anyway, enough from me. Kevin, have you got anything else to say before we bring Robbie on? Nope. Okay. Well, let's get on with Robbie, the wonderful MC, and uh, we can't wait to hear from all the amazing people from Ashburton. Thank you. Thanks, guys. G'day, how's it going? Uh, thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, so, sorry, I do have notes. I actually have a common mental health uh, condition called CRS. Uh, can't remember shit. So, I, yes, I have notes and I quite often lose my train of thought. Sometimes it comes back to me straight away. Other times it will come back to me next month. So, and, and I'm also of that age where uh, my train of thought will just leave the station without me. So, um, I've been asked just to do the, you know, the wee help housekeeping rules and that sort of thing, which is you know, common sense at the end of the day, but uh, loser out the door and around the corner. And uh, event of a fire, the best things to take are friggin' big ones. <laughs> um, so, now that that's out of the way, uh, just a wee bit about myself. Um, when I was growing up, I didn't actually start talking until I was five. My mum was worried, she took me along to the speech therapy classes. It turns out I was just thick and dyslexic. So when I finally uh, started talking, mum couldn't stop me. And now no one can shut me up. So basically mum wasted a lot of money for nothing. Um, so along my uh, story of life, I've had depression on and off. Um, and it's something I've dealt with on a daily basis. You know, some days are diamonds, some days are shit. I used to take antidepressants, but it said on the box, if you drink alcohol, they don't work. <laughs> so I wasn't on antidepressants, was I? Um, so when I first started working, it was on a dairy farm. And while on the, I was on the dairy farm, I... Uh, had a knack of uh, fixing stuff, motorbikes, tractors, equipment, that sort of thing, so I thought, I'm going engineering. So I brought myself a welder and a few tools, called myself an engineer. <laughs> and then along the way of life, one of my dreams was to be a firefighter. While I was in the fire service, I got my heavy traffic licence to drive the fire trucks. That goal was achieved. In the downtime of... Uh, yeah, the engineering, because I did a lot of irrigation work, we always had uh, downtime. I was driving for a couple of different companies, but then I ended up being the engineer and mechanic. Um, and I ended up being, uh, you know, some of these were called, you know, quite big fleets. Um, but along the way I've also been the scout leader, truck driver, tractor driver, oversized pilot, digger operator, built race tractors, race cars, motorbikes. And I've done a whole lot of other stuff 
that I'm actually pleased I done in the time before uh, mobile phones and cameras and Facebook and YouTube and that sort of thing because uh, I'll probably end up in you know in trouble with the law and just you know, carrying on with what they said before. Once upon a time, you used to be uh, innocent until proven guilty. Nowadays, you're guilty until you prove your own innocence. But over the years, I've done radio shows, been on TV, several write-ups in newspapers you know, here, uh, Australia, commentated radios, emceed events, hence why I'm here, stand-up comedy, and usually it's I stand up, people laugh. Um, so that, that was quite easy sometimes. But uh, I also uh, talk a lot about uh, mental health, and I go out to different uh, groups, uh, lions, young farmers, and talk about mental health, life, and depression. So one of my goals uh, going forward is actually to get a tiki tour going around the country and going out and talking to rural New Zealand about mental health. Because as far as I can see, in your main centres, there's help there, but not out, you know, not, not out in the rural sector. And things can go quite uh, wrong quite quickly on, on a farm or anything. You, know, you, you, know, you might have an appointment to see the doctor at 2 o'clock, so you get up in the morning, go to milk the cows, and they've got an appointment at 2 o'clock. All it takes is a flat tyre on the tractor or something like that. And then next minute you look at your watch and you're like, damn, it's 3 o'clock, I've missed my appointment. So one of my goals is actually to uh, yeah, get out there further into the uh, rural sector, talking about mental health and that sort of thing. Um, so, and all fit, you know, all that put together, I've actually come a lot further in life than a, you know, a man of my intellects and looks should have actually ever come. Um, but I've also actually met some really awesome people along the way. So tonight, I'm going to tell you a few stories of my life, but we've also got some, uh, uh, you know, really good uh, guest speakers as well. Um, and. You know, like my story, some are funny, some aren't, but as long as I can keep my train of thought long enough, you know, some of them have got, some of them have got a point. Um, and if they don't have a point, just, you know, through sheer persistence, uh, I actually hope you reap some benefit of what I say, of my remedies. So, tonight, yeah, as some of the emceeing I've done is, uh, you know, here in New Zealand, Australia, truck shows and that sort of thing, so I've been asked to, you know, emcee tonight for the counter spin, let's not forget, the Truth, Courage and Freedom Tour. So, um, with that being said, uh, our first guest speaker is Carl Bromley from Christchurch. If you want to come up, please, Carl. It's not just you, Carl. <laughs> Thanks for a very warm welcome. It's good to be in the heart of the Selwyn district. And it's Vegas. Is that right? I asked my wife what coming up. She said, Is Selwyn? Are you sure it's sure Selwyn? <laughs> Where am I? Excuse me. I'm not sure. Do it again. Great to be in the heart of the Ashburton district. Oh, laughing, but is she laughing at me? She's filmed with that, by the way. <laughs> oh, so much for a good start, but anyway, good to be here, and uh, what a uh, blessing to be around like-minded people, patriot Kiwis, 
who want to save their nation. I always say country folks are the best folks. I'm not just saying that to grease, grease up you guys here in Ashburton, but I really believe that because I spent a lot of time on the farm up in Pukekohe, up in uh, the North Island, my uncle's farm, and, uh, and uh, even lived in uh, Pahiatua, North Island uh, farm uh, community there, a big uh, uh, milking uh, community. And uh, so I really believe that because I think um, farm folks care and they, they help each other out, they pitch in, they get together. And it seems like the more you're in cities and that, the less people seem to care, isn't it? It's, it's quite ironic. The more closely you live together, the less people care. When you have a bit of space, mate, a bit of fresh air, you actually seem to give a hoot about the person who lives down the road. So I'm uh, really glad to be here. So I'm here with my wife, Mel. We've been uh, married for 26 years, three adult children, three grandchildren. And uh, Robbie, I've spent 30 years working in mental health, my friend. And uh, so I have a big heart for mental health. Uh, certainly you've experienced issues in our family and had my own stuff at times as well. None of us go through life not being affected uh, by mental, uh, mental issues. It's a continuum, as Robbie said, there can be diamonds one day and all downhill the next. And so I have a big heart for that and maybe we can talk some more about that, Robbie, uh, later on. But the reason I'm here tonight and, uh, is to basically talk a little bit about our story and a solution to try to claw this nation we love back out of the clutches of globalist, totalitarian tyrannists. I call them like a, uh, kind of like a um, communist, fascist, mutant hybrid, really. And uh, they've, they've really taken our country hostage and holding us for ransom as Kiwi, and it's not okay. So uh, the other day, Mel and I were at a butchery in Christchurch there buying some um, meat, obviously, and... Um, the lady behind the counter with a mask on said to me, she said, are you that guy that the cops raided on New Year's Eve? And uh, I said, yeah, we get that quite a lot. And she was saying that at the, that workplace there, they uh, fought and won their mandates, but um, they treat like scum. People look at them like they're uh, second-rate citizens of the enemy, and that's what this government has done to Kiwis, pitched Kiwis against each other. And, and that's uh, purposeful and on purpose, really. But uh, I found a lot of people uh, coming up to me and recognising us from that event. And the reason I think that's touched people in such a way is because it's a metaphor of what this government and the authorities are doing to all Kiwis. They're abusing Kiwis. They're abusing us. Innocent Kiwis. And do you know that there's been over 19,000, uh, and I double-checked today, better than the double location was that, 19,000 warrantless searches since 2020-2021. That's what they did at our house. They just broke into our house, vandalised it, uh, left my wife traumatised, stole my stuff. 19,000, would you believe? They got a search warrant for the mongrel mob. But if you're just an average kid with no criminal record, they just feel it's okay to wait till you're out, maybe, and just rock up. I think that's just actually a low-key agenda that they've got going in the background, trying to intimidate safe and responsible gun owners into handing in their guns and their licenses because they don't want to stress it. It's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And um, how come our country is in this uh, position we're in now? Basically two main culprits. One is censorship and the other propaganda, sustained propaganda as our uh, Prime Minister openly, overtly uh, told us. This is why media revolutions like Counterspin are so important. Because this government has hijacked, obviously, mainstream media. They control uh, the authorities, the justice system, the police, health. Uh, they've gotten into even churches and our families. 
every which way you look at it, education, universities, they've got this country and holding it to ransom. And the extreme censorship in this country is a major issue because what happens when adults are censored from being able to uh, assess and research and evaluate information, guess what happens? You start wondering what on earth can you believe? What is true? What is false? And then that invites a lot of instability, a lot of fear and a lot of distrust where people aren't willing to believe anything anymore. That invites a lot of conspiracies as well. Because when you are censored from being able to do your own research and have adult communication dialogue, you are left in a very insecure place. And this, this is a weapon, it's a psyops, a global psyops, that is being applied by this government. So censorship is one of the main issues, I believe, that keeps us hijacked in this country, this government. The other thing is propaganda. Purposeful, uh, conscious propaganda through the media, mainstream media, through big uh, social media giants like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, all those folks working in cahoots to just basically drown us in a deluge of propaganda garbage. And propaganda that's used by a state actually seeks to pit Kiwis against each other, people against people. And they've done sadly a good job with it, haven't they? So anyway, so uh, the result of Propaganda and censorship is, I already believe, a, a, a national mental health issue. This country is under delusion and illusion. Now, delusion, in terms of uh, clinical uh, psychiatry, is a false, fixed idea that has no basis in reality. And we could just pick out numbers of these, these uh, psyops, pieces of propaganda that Kiwis have, have bought into and are deluded about. The whole COVID narrative, the whole issue of safety and the defacing of our people, mask wearing, all these kind of, this crazy kind of stuff. So there's delusion, there's mass delusion in this country and globally, as well as illusion. And illusion is a distortion of reality, a misperception of something. They have turned this country mad. And it's disgusting, it's vile, because it's intentional, it's planned, and it's purposeful, it's happening everywhere in the world. So we've got to get this, gov this government out of our country back, and I've got a, a plan for that, I'm going to share it with you. It's uh, called the Independent Coalition. Now, uh, I'm running for Mayor and Council in Christchurch, and I'm not delusional about that, I'm just trying to build profile. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The reason I'm doing that is because I'm thinking nationally but acting locally. So I'm aiming for the big prize next year's election, trying my best to whack my head on the brick wall and talk some sense into our minor party leaders and independents who uh, quite often think that uh, the only answer is their answer. A solution to really get minor parties together and work together and independence. And the way the Independent Coalition does that is by eliminating the two things that create division against minor parties. What are the two things that create division among minor parties? What's the first thing you think? Egos. Egos. Pride. Everyone wants to have a coalition, but everyone wants to be the one in control of it and micromanaging it. They say we should be working together, but they want to be the one holding at the helm, holding the steering wheel. Okay? So the independent coalition eliminates that issue of ego through facilitative rotational leadership. I know it's a mouthful, it's facilitative, so basically the only role of the leader of the uh, independent coalition 
is to basically be a cameo figure piece to say that we've united on three basic policies, which I'll share with you briefly in a minute. And it's rotational. So in other words, you're going to go this month, you have a go up in the lead next month, you're going to go the next month. I don't even want to go, I'm not going to have a go. Because it's not about who is behind the mic, it's not about who gets the pat on the back. We're going to grow up, it's beyond that, it's about getting our country back. So, it's facilitative rotational leadership, gets rid of the ego issue. Secondly, the independent coalition gets rid of the uh, second thing that divides, and that's a multitude of policies. Because when you have different policies, every time you have a policy, you're inviting division. It's hard to get everyone to agree on 100 different policies, right? So we're in desperate times that call for desperate measures. We need to eliminate policies and, and be focused on getting patriot Kiwis into government. So eliminate those policies. The Independent Coalition unites on three policies. One, sovereignty. An independent and self-sufficient New Zealand. So we're not in bondage to globalist agendas and contracts. Two, genuine democracy. Elected representation in local governments and central governments. Real democracy, not what we have now. And thirdly, freedom. Basically constitutionalising and enshrining the Bill of Rights. So they cannot be usurped and undermined ever again. Because that's why we're in the doo-doo we're in now. It's because we've allowed these ginks in government to undermine and usurp our Bill of Rights. Now, if that never happened, there wouldn't be an issue. So those are the two... Uh, main points of the independent coalition. Now the point is that any minor party can join and any independent person running in an electorate can join as well. And so we want a mass mega party votes to get across the 5% line, which is about 150 to 170,000, which gives us about six patriot leaders in government. Right? Now I know a lot of people say, well you waste your time, the system's cahoots, it's all, it's all wasted. I think there's still an opportunity to use a fragment of a democracy that's in place. And I'm not, I'm not a politician. The Lord forbid I ever become a politician. I don't want to be a politician. I'm just a patriot Kiwi who's going to jump in that arena as a leader, hopefully with other leaders, to try to get this government out and some patriots in to turn things around. Yes! You can imagine a coalition that is committed to democracy, freedom and sovereignty in government is going to make a difference and start turning things, isn't it? That's the idea. Now, I'm recruiting, so I've uh, just tried to formulate and bring together a bit of a team for the campaign in Christchurch, but more importantly here in the uh, Ashburton District, I've got that seat, <laughs> Ashburton District, uh, for the national campaign next year. If you have some skills and um, a willing heart, the most important thing is a willing heart and passion, please come and talk with me tonight and say you want to be part of that. I need you. I've got, I've got a couple of strengths, but I also know what my limitations are. My limitations are many. And we need to work together to attack this beast. And that's the other thing as well, is uh, rather than shooting our allies and, and be uh, upset with other groups doing things different ways, and not the same way we're doing it, rather than um, kicking them when they're down or putting the boot into them, we need to celebrate each other's efforts and recognise that our way isn't the only way. We need to celebrate those differences and, and recognise that we all need to come at this beast, this beast that is occupying our beehive, this totalitarian, tyrannical dictatorship, needs to be attacked from different ways, different ways, different weapons, different tools, weapons figuratively, so I used this okay, to, to uh, make a change and get our country back. So, 
There's a place for you if you're willing to help. Because this situation is not about any of us, it's about all of us. The issue and the problem we're facing as Kiwis is not just about all of us, but it's about each of us. And what I mean by that statement is <clears throat> communism basically sacrifices the individual for the collective. The other extreme of that is sacrificing the community for the individual. It doesn't have to be the either or either, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of both and. The rights of the individual are important and we need to look after our community, eh? That's what it's about. It's all for one, one for sleeve. One for sleeve, <laughs> my notes. All for one, one for all. The next line says we all need to roll up our sleeves. So I go to this next year as well sometimes. Okay? And I love farm people, love country folks. Country folks aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves and work, are they? There's a verse on our national anthem that's forgotten. The third verse of our national anthem says, Peace, not war, shall be our boast, but should foes enemies assail our coasts make us then a mighty host God defend our free land Lord of battles in thy might put our enemies to flight let our cause be just and right God defend New Zealand well folks peace has been destroyed in New Zealand people are living with anxiety fear and depression like never before it's very sad our foes have insidiously insidiously assailed our coasts They've taken up residence in the Beehive. They've captured our government, media, universities, justice system, health, churches, families and friends. And we need to pray to that God of nations, I believe, to make us mighty hosts, to put these enemies to flight. Our cause is just and it is right. We're in the middle of a cold war and there have been thousands of casualties. It's time to speak. It's time to stand and fight and to fight like there's no tomorrow. Because if we don't, folks, it just might not be for many of us. So the independent coalition is simple, so simple that it will work, but it needs all our help to talk about it, share it, and get behind it, and spread it. No more elitism, no more egos, no more division. We can't afford that luxury. One people, one cause, one free, democratic, Sovereign New Zealand. Thanks for your time. Uh, thank you to Carl for his uh, speech there. Um, so, one thing I've been asked to do is encourage you people to join uh, counterspinmedia.com. Uh, basically, on uh, Facebook, Twitter and everything else, you know, have got the uh, tendency to be blocked and, uh, you know, banned. So if you, want, you, know, if you go to uh, counterspinmedia.com, it's a bit more independent than all the other platforms out there. Um, so our next uh, speaker for the night is Lee Williams. I just can't stand there and talk into a mic like that and stay rigid. I've got to walk around but I can think better. I started my YouTube channel about four years ago. I was inspired by Tommy Robinson. Have you heard of Tommy Robinson? Yes. In the UK. Now, Tommy Robinson is a very controversial figure in the UK. I think he's a hero, a national treasure. And uh, he's been jailed about three times. Trumped up charges. 
said a lot of truths, made a few mistakes, like I have. But he's been doing it a lot, lot longer than me, and he's still getting persecuted. But anyway, I was here, he was there. So I started my YouTube channel saying similar kind of things, but more New Zealand-centric. And I talked about the UK, I talked about the United States, I talked about Trump, and um, many things I was, I would say I was probably New Zealand's biggest Trump supporter. And I'm proud of that. And when I was in Sinlay, I was even proud of it there and I shouted from the rooftops. Not literally, but I'll tell you what, a lot of people didn't like it because I supported Trump in Sinlay. Because it's a funny old thing. But that's the power of the media in New Zealand, the power of the media everywhere. It is like Carl says. One huge propaganda machine. Not only here, but everywhere, the whole world. Now in the UK we've got, um, well I say we, I'm here now. But in the UK they've got GB News and they've got other news channels. And um, they're an alternative, a bit like Counterspin, but they're on national television. And uh, you can just tune in anytime you want to GB News. And, it's, and it really is fantastic, you should watch it, because it's very... <laughs> It's very anti-Jacinda, and that's a great thing, isn't it? Yeah. They, they pile it into Jacinda all the time, and that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a bit like, it's about like, a, a, bit like a, a British version of Fox News. And um, yeah, so but New Zealand, what's New Zealand got? They've got counterspin, but all they ever get is trolled by the trolls. They get trolled by the mainstream media. The mainstream media just lies through their teeth. And why do they lie through the teeth? Because Jacinda pays them to lie through their... I was going to swear that. <laughs> to lie through their teeth to us. With taxpayers' money, what is it, 60, 80 million dollars a year or something? She gives the media taxpayers' money, your money, to lie to you. That's what she does. Journalists, have we got any journalists in New Zealand? Mike Hoskins, maybe. To me, doesn't go far enough. You got Chris Lynch in Christchurch. Doesn't go far enough for me. You had Peter Williams, he gave, he gave me a couple of slots uh, last year or so. And what happened to him? He was gone pretty quick, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Gave me a couple of, couple of speaking parts on, on the radio. And next thing, he was gone. But this is, this is where we are, people. So Jacinda is doing a marvellous job. A marvellous job in New Zealand. A marvellous job of absolutely screwing this country over big time. Yeah. It's a choice between her and Trudeau, Justin Trudeau of Canada, who is, I think, is probably even more loathsome than Jacinda, and that takes some doing. Yeah. But you know, just, just to look at him, he just makes my skin crawl. But they're both peas, and they're both two peas of the same pod, aren't they? And uh, he's destroying Canada, she's destroying New Zealand. And I believe, yes, I believe they're both taking orders from the WEF. WHO, United Nations, Klaus Schwab, and all the rest, George Soros, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and that's what's happening in the world. There's no doubt in my mind this is happening. And if you, you know, people don't realise this, and the people that don't realise are just, well, the people that don't realise and don't want to know what's happening, they're the people you see in the cars every day by themselves wearing the masks. They're the same people. They're the same people that walk along Sumner Beach and New Brighton Beach wearing masks on a sunny day. You know, they're insane, aren't they? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with these people who wear masks on a bright, sunshiny day? They're, 
I was going to swear again then, but I'm not going to swear. There's kids in the audience, so I better, better not swear. But yeah, it's, uh, we live in a strange old world, don't we? Strange old world. Have you heard of, um, what's his name? Yuval Noah Harari. Have you heard of him? Yes. Yuval Noah Harari. You should look at it. Yuval Noah Harari. What an absolute lunatic this fellow is. He's the chief advisor to Klaus Schwab. And this fella gets a red carpet treatment into every nation to speak to leaders and presidents, prime ministers, presidents of all countries. And he's on the telly, all the main channels, speaking, and he says things like, uh, Oh, Sweeney, it's, oh, the people of the world, they, they are like cattle. They are like cattle. We could treat them just like cattle. We are going to insert every single person on the planet with a little chip in their hands. And they all be happy with it. We we can know what where they are. We know what's happening inside them. Isn't it fantastic? And the whole audience laughs and claps. It's mad, absolute crazy. And you know, and you think to yourself, this is an alternative universe. That this man's allowed to say that, and he gets the red carpet treatments to leaders of the world, leaders of the nations. Absolute insanity. And you know. The mainstream media in New Zealand and everywhere else, they call us conspiracy theorists. You mention Klaus Schwab, mention Klaus Schwab, straight away, they'll say conspiracy theorists. Klaus Schwab is on record saying, on the, he's on screen saying over and over again, in the future you will have nothing, but you will be happy. You know, he'll have nothing, but he'll be happy. I bet he won't have nothing. He'll be the world's first trillionaire, probably. Him and Bill Gates, and a few others. These people are not going to have nothing. They want to strip you of everything. The problem is, these people are multi-billionaire psychopaths who rule the world. And they control our leaders. They put our leaders in place. Like Jacinda, like Boris Johnson, like Justin Trudeau, Macron, Merkel, the whole lot. They, they, they've chosen them. From an early age, they've groomed them to where they are right now. Yeah. And I honestly believe what's happening in Russia now and the Ukraine, well, not Russia, what's happening actually in Ukraine, orchestrated. And we know most people in this room will have a fair idea that this is going to affect food production, costs of transport, and, oh, you know. Basically, it's going to cost us that pockets. And what are they driving it for? I don't know if Putin is a part of this. I don't know whether he's challenging this. I don't know. But Zelensky, is it Zelensky? He's, he's, the, he's the big man of Ukraine. But I think he's part of it. I think he is part of this lie. You know, Ukraine, it's a big country. In Europe, by European standards, but I think it's about the size of France, which is a big country. But the world oil prices are going through the roof. Grain prices are going through the roof. There's been factories in the US where planes are flying into factories that are producing food, would you believe? Isn't that bizarre, don't you think? And a train was derailed the other day with about 30 carriages or something full of, um, what was it called? Uh, what's, what's it usually used to grow food? Fertilizer. Fertilizer, all went on fire, all lost. It just makes you wonder what's going on, doesn't it? Are they trying to cause, drive some kind of world famine? 
Are they? Yes. Just makes you wonder. But anyway, you know, all we can do is be aware about it. But for me, I'd rather keep laughing because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. We've got to keep smiling and we've got to have a bit of humour. We've got to find a bit of humour where we can find it. We really have. And, um, and there's a, you know, like Carl mentioned, there's a lot of anxiety in New Zealand, a lot of sadness, a lot worse than we think. Jacinda split us down racial lines. She split, split us down the, well, the jabbed and the unjabbed lines. Many, many people have lost their jobs. And many, many people have lost family members. Not in a literal sense, but family members aren't even speaking to each other. Friends, I've, I've lost friends. I don't even speak to one of my friends now because she was so adamant at just saying I was marvellous. And it was my decision. I just stopped talking to her. She's in the 70s. And, uh, but she was anti-Trump, he was sexist, he was misogynist, he was racist, he was everything, and she couldn't prove any of it because all oh, she's... The only reason she said all this is because she was just repeating what it said on the 6 o'clock news. That's all it was, and that's all these people ever do. The vast majority of people in New Zealand are just watching the 6 o'clock news, be it TVNZ, TV3, Radio New Zealand, or the, or the shite they listen to on the, on the radio during the day or not. And it's all garbage. It really is. You've got to read between the lines. And, you know, we do. I mean, we're here tonight. We haven't got a full hall here. Like in Cust the other day, we had a, we had a full. It was chock a block. But, you know, at least... You here in this hall, I don't know. So most of you will be from Ashburn, but at least you're awake. And it's not, there's no point, there's no point, I think, um, trying to convince people you're trying to convince by bombarding them with like videos and, uh, and uh, sending them information that lasts ages and, and talking down to them and, and whatever. You, you, you've got to just chip away a little bit, try to convince them ever so slowly because otherwise they will lose it and these people are just not ready they're just not ready to change unless they feel it personally themselves um, I got a good friend of mine who had a big barney with her parents uh, yesterday and um, her parents kicked her out of the house probably Klaus Schwab and her parents kicked her out of the house because she was trying to convince her parents that, uh, you know, basically what, what we all know in this room. And her parents said, get out, get out, don't come, don't, don't come back. And, um, and this, this kind of thing is happening everywhere. We've all got, I mean, who's, who's, lost, who's lost friends here? Hands up who's lost friends over all this. Yeah, it says, it speaks a lot, doesn't it? And who's lost their jobs? Who's lost their jobs or vaccines? Yeah. I've got three daughters, lost their jobs. Three son-in-laws lost their jobs. My wife lost her job. And all struggling now, and all suffering really bad anxiety. All of us. And um, I'm out of work at the minute, but that's okay. At the minute, I chose, I chose my path. And uh, I'll, I'll suffer my path, but I'm gonna keep smiling. And I still make videos. I still make videos for YouTube. I still make videos for Telegram. And I keep saying it because I know it to be the truth, regardless. Same as Carl Bromley and same as these lovely people here for Counterspin, they're saying the same thing. Because one day, 
we will be proven right. And that includes all you people in this room. We are going to be on the right side of history at some stage. But as I say, it's darkest before dawn. And we, we have probably got quite a bit more suffering to go yet until we come out the other side. But we've got to keep smiling, people. We've got to keep smiling because, like I said, if you don't, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And uh, none of us wants to cry and get down because when you cry, when you're upset, you get down, you get depressed, other people see it, and it's hard for your families to see that kind of thing. I'm not telling you to keep it inside, but watch, I don't know, watch more comedies. You know, get a video, watch, watch more comedies, have laughs, have more laughs. Don't turn to drink, don't turn to drugs. I don't hardly drink. Never done drugs, I'll be honest with you. Don't need it, never felt the need for it. But get together with positive people that are going to make yourself, make you laugh. Because we need more of it, don't we? Carl Brogan, my good mate over there. He's running for Christchurch Mayor. What do you think of that? Is that a good thing, Christchurch Mayor, Carl Brogan? That's a fantastic thing. We went to a meeting, um, Carl and I, and a couple of others, about three weeks ago, and we watched another potential Christchurch, or Christchurch mayoral candidate. And uh, I won't say who it is. But man, there was 20 people in that room watching that man, and that man, he couldn't, he couldn't speak. He couldn't speak. And this man's a pretty uh, wealthy man, apparently. Big name in Christchurch. But I'll tell you what, people, he's got nothing on that man over there. Carl Bromley, because at least Carl Bromley's going to tell you the truth. He's going to give it to you, not, well, alright, you're an Ashburton, but he's going to give it to the people of Christchurch straight. Carl Bromley will be Christchurch Mayor. I honestly believe that in my own heart now because I know how he speaks and you know, I know how the other candidates speak. And I know they're all woke. All woke and weak as well because wokeness makes you weak. Yeah. And that fella is not weak at all. That man is strong and a great speaker. And he's, he will stand up to the government of New Zealand and say it for the whole of this country. The, vo the voiceless millions who are too terrified to say it for themselves. And hopefully, Aker, you want to be the mayor, bud? Well, the chance, bud. No, you're going to be the mayor, mate. You're going to be the mayor. So anyway, people, this is Cross the Rubicon. My name's Lee Williams. Watch me on it, watch me anytime on my channel, and subscribe. But that's all I've got to say for tonight. Thank you very much. Cheers. So our next guest speaker is Sarah Scott, who is a counselling social worker and psychotherapist and relaxation therapist from the UK. Sarah lives in Methven and supports the rural me mental health team and teaches relaxation, mindfulness to groups and with horses. Sarah has come to share her insight on living with fear and uncertainty to help us feel relaxed in these times. Welcome to the stage, Sarah. Why am I here? I'm here because I care. I care for all you people, really. And I've been motivated to sort of stand up and, and try and help. Um, I'm a relaxation therapist and I'm feeling really tense here. I'm reading this truth. Um, courage and freedom and I'm thinking yeah I'm not feeling very brave right now but 
And when I thought my children were at risk, I stood up yes. and I started to fight, and I'm sure everyone else feels that here too. And then, and then family and the divisions with family, that motivates me to, to work through the issues that we're all facing. Um, you know, our family had been divided, for sure, and we, we were just all determined, doesn't matter what the opinions are in the family, to just keep rising over that and keep moving forward. But I don't want to sort of go off too much because I know we're on type for time. Now, I did do a PowerPoint for this, um, and instead of that, I'm afraid you've got some paperwork. And there's so many of you, there's not enough to go around, so if you could sort of huddle together and share and sort of uh, consult the papers as we go, and I'll talk through what I've written here for you today. It's been suggested that a high proportion of the questioning, um, of those questioning the government narrative, have previous mental health issues. Now that really inflamed me when I heard that announcement. I thought, hang on a minute. So suddenly, if you're going to question the narrative, we've all got a problem. Okay, and um, there is uh, there is sound basis in in that comment that people that are sort of healing from trauma are more hypervigilant, will ask questions, are thinking about safety, are thinking about survival. So yes, I understand their point, but what they're actually saying is the people that are healing from any kind of trauma are not going to trust the government. Not the government are trustable, um, so people, whatever their background, should trust them. So I'm not making a lot of sense here, but it did inflame me. I, was, I really was incensed to think, here I am working with trauma victims all the time, and suddenly these people that are, I mean, across the board, whether they are in this sort of camp or another camp, but the pe they're being used as a scapegoat. You know, and I thought that's really, really low for a government that was supposedly very pro-mental health support, suddenly using mental health as an out for excuse for whatever they want to use in their mandate. So, I got pretty upset about that. And, and really, when I think about it, just about everybody in this room has experienced trauma, um, whether that be chronic, um, uh, or complex or acute we, we all experience normal life trauma some people experience sort of trauma that's you know um, uh, more, more um, complex than that and so healing takes time and 12% and of people experiencing trauma are likely to have delayed sort of healing and, uh, or symptoms like PTSD. Okay. Now, when you look at the symptoms of trauma or, or what constitutes a trauma, we would see that the entire country or even the world has, taken, uh, has had life taken out of their control. Okay. They've got health concerns they never had before. They've got family adjustments and opposition that they didn't have before financial stress, and to top it all, their struggle with segregation and isolation. Okay? And everybody knows their hallmarkers. 
you know, for poor mental health. So as the guys that have been talking already, you know, very well said, you know, it's, it doesn't take much notice that everybody is going to be struggling from trauma to a degree because this is out of our control. So all these hallmarks for trauma, stress and anxiety, develop into depression if they're not addressed. Okay. And on these sheets I've handed out, I've, um, there's um, uh, some, some pages on um, the estate. So when, when we're healing or when we have a, a response to trauma, I think it's on the second page, the bottom sheet, if anyone's got this. We, we've got a page here about um, fight, flight, freeze and fade. So the first three are our responses to trauma, and the, and the fourth one is how we're going to approach trauma. Okay, so if we're going to face it. And, um, it used to be a fight-flight model, but they're, they're expanding it all the time the more they learn about trauma. So if you're one of that 12% that may be struggling with trauma, um, or you are supporting somebody who's feeling the impact of that, you might notice that they're more hypervigilant. Okay. And is that a bad thing? Is hypervigilance a bad thing right now? No. No, I'm feeling pretty hypervigilant. And so we're going to talk about balance and how we balance that hypervigilance for our own good, not for our failing. Okay. So does survival depend on it? Yes, that's the whole point of it. That's why we have that response. Sorry, I'm zooming through my notes here. So what, what are the tools to respond to fear? This fear response, the fight flight, is a fear response. What tools can we use? Now the first one, and on the first page of this, I've got a lovely quote here by Ralph Emerson. Are there any teachers in here? Have we got any teachers here tonight? Well, we might have some teachers. Hello, <laughs> teacher. So Ralph Emerson, he's um, you know a pioneer in uh, teaching teaching models. His quote here: "Knowledge is an antidote to fear." Now I like that because. I'm thinking of tonight. Tonight is a great example of what we can do to help us combat fear. Okay, for our own healing, and that's attain knowledge. So, being amongst people that have got lots of knowledge and they're willing to share it, and and sharing between yourselves. I mean, how we've come together. I suppose most of us are all, all on Telegram. There's a lot of knowledge that's shared there. And that's been wonderful because it's really empowering when we have knowledge, we're empowered. What else do we need? We need connection. We need connection to gain support. When we're on our own, we're vulnerable. Okay, when we are connected, we're supported and, and we feel safer. We need to socialize. And relax and laugh. So I like the, the model from Lee there, that laughing is a good antidote. We do need to laugh. How can we laugh at these times? But actually, finding time within yourself to just take time out and laugh is really, really therapeutic. 
find your happy, visit your fun space within you. And for balance, find your peaceful place. So, I think, Lee, were you talking about peace? Was it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> you blended. Um, peace is the healing, the healing we need for um, stress and uh, for trauma. So we need peace. We need peace. And has anyone got this picture of a little ribbly wobbly line? I've got some papers turning here. Okay. This is my go-to. Again and again, just about every person who comes to see me in therapy gets to see this wibbly wobbly line. And I love it because this is our rhythm, the rhythm we perform in every day. Okay. And it goes up and down in a cycle of about 90 minutes, maybe 120 minutes. And there's peaks and there's troughs. And we'll probably all recognise when we're at a peak moment of the day, when we've got lots of energy, mental, mental sort of um, agility, and we're on fire. And then there's parts of the day when we're feeling a bit, what am I doing? Where was I going? And you can walk around the house or forget what we're doing. And that's when the mind is really needing a bit of a break. So I use this model again and again in so many ways with clients to just help them start to learn to regulate throughout their day. Okay, some people have got great um, patterns that they live in. They have their, they get up, they have breakfast, they go to work, they're very busy, they have smoko, so, uh, kiwi term, Lee, I think you know it now, don't you? <laughs> Um, and then, and then they're busy again, and then, and then they have their lunch, and they're they're down in that sort of dip there again, and then they go up again, active again. When we're really aware of that, we work with that rhythm. We can optimise our day. But if we're fighting that rhythm, if we feel a lull and we feel we're meant to be doing more, and we're pushing ourselves on, that's when we're going to start triggering the good old cortisol. So I can go on and on about this model. I think it's amazing. But getting people into that rhythm, I think, is really, really important for healing. So peace is in the bottom. And peaceful sounds like nothing. It's zero, zero thinking. Who here feels that they can access zero thinking whenever they want to. Hands up. Brilliant. One. Hello. <laughs> Two. Anybody else? It's hard, isn't it? It is hard. So what do we do to slow the mind down? How many of you actually actively try and slow your thinking down? Good. Oh, that's, see, that's much better. Because that's awareness, and once you're building on that awareness, you just keep struggling to do that. And you become more and more mindful. The more mindful you are about what you're doing, you will get better and better at it. So bringing that thinking down to zero. So we've got a balance here. We need knowledge, don't we? We need knowledge to feel safe, to be empowered, to steer our ship. But we need peace to assimilate that knowledge and to take it within us to an unconscious level so we can just operate and be ourselves everything else is a story but when we're just being ourselves we, we just want to be and i'm smiling at a friend of mine in, in the audience here she's one of my horse ladies 
And we do a lot of just being with the horses. Not talking, well, when I can get her to stop talking. Um, <laughs> and, and just being peaceful. And, and, and it's something we need to do according to this. Any guesses how often? Maybe 90 minutes, yeah, good. So I'm going to just move us on a little bit because I'm, gonna, I'm really aware of time. We've got a few great quotes in here. Life is divided into three terms. That which was, which is and which will be. Let us learn from the past to profit by the present and from the present to live better in the future. And that's a kind of wordy way of talking about past, present and future. So we know that past thinking, if we go down a negative line, brings us into a depressed mood. If we are in the present and we are being present and really mindful about what we're doing, we can get closer to zero thinking and just enjoy being ourselves, not a product of the environment or our system that we live in, just being ourselves. Like a lot of animals have freedom to be. I'm really jealous sometimes of the animals. And then in the future, the future's where anxiety sits quite happily, bouncing around telling us loads of stories of what could be and should be and what everyone else should do and why can't we and da, 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 all the stories that we have in our minds when we can't switch our mind off so we know that anxiety is the negative future tense depression negative past tense so we really want to spend most of our mental time with ourselves in the present being ourselves so that's that little lesson. Ten ways to fight your fears. Take time out. Breathe through panic. So I'll do a bit of that now. Face your fears. Imagine the worst. Look at the evidence. Don't try to be perfect. That's what I've always tried to do, to be perfect, to not be perfect. Keep working at not being perfect, then you're perfect. Is that right? <laughs> you can get really in a knot with that one. Visualize a happy place and talk about it, whatever you want to talk about. Go back to basics, and I think this is a lesson that we're all learning from this period of time. Go back to basics, reconnecting with your knowledge base, and reward yourself. And in a second, I'm just going to invite us to do a relaxation. Not quite, not quite. But all I want to do as a last sort of closing statement is the biggest thing I've noticed is people have lost confidence. Okay? They've lost confidence in their own knowledge of how to look after themselves. Okay? Now, they might need more knowledge in how to do that because our life has been so channeled that we actually haven't been given that knowledge. And there's loads of gurus out there, and I know we're connected more and more with that knowledge. But do trust in your instincts because actually you know what feels right and what feels wrong, and trust it. Believe in yourself. 
Don't let anyone else tell you they know better about you or your health. Your health is your responsibility and you are the best advocate for your health. So if you're going to talk to a health professional, their, their understanding is 80% of what you tell them is their diagnosis. So if any health professional says less than that, they're wrong, they're not listening. So you need to know 80% sure what you're talking about when you go and see a health professional. You know, and um, the health professionals I've worked with, I've worked with a lot over the years, that really understand that and listen to their patients. Okay, so trust in yourself to be able to keep yourself physically well, and trust in your families to help keep you mentally well. Stay connected. Okay. All right, now I'd like to just invite us all into this space. So we've been here listening for probably how long? Has anyone seen the time? Oh, perfect. So if we go to our wibbly wobbly line, I reckon we've all been listening and paying attention and using our minds. And then we can go up a bit, I think. a bit of mental space in the bottom of that curve where we can start to bring our minds down to zero so let's start by being really still don't move a muscle be completely motionless the stillest you've ever been minute we're going to do some breathing but while you're sitting really still everything starts to slow down and you become really aware of your breath and as your body starts to become a bit more comfortable slowly you can invite yourself into a comfortable position and maybe find a place for your eyes to just gaze without moving. Or if you're more comfortable, you can close your eyes. And to help that mind slow down, I'm gonna suggest we start to count with our breath. So we're counting in for the count of four. Breathe it in. Two, three, four, and holding. Two, three, and then breathing out for a count of five. This is an invitation to your body to relax. Maybe for the first time today, accept this invitation. It's just for two minutes. Breathing in again when you're ready. A count of five, two, three, four, five. And holding. And keep that counting in the mind to keep the mind still. Mind and body and focus still. Breathing out. 
make a micro adjustment in your body to just become a little bit more comfortable in your seat. Breathing in for four. Holding. And breathing out. And in your mind you could be thinking, breathing in relaxation. And breathing out tension. This is your practice for your mind and for your body. Breathing in for four, breathing in health, two, three, nice and deeply, holding. And as you breathe out, breathe out all the thoughts you no longer need releasing that tension and then the next breath breathing in vitality and energizing health this is yours to breathe in and with your mental housekeeping breathing out clearing out the old files and information no longer required. And now breathing normally. Our relaxation is over. But the effect will last. And that's something your body might invite your mind to enter into every hour and a half for either 30 seconds, three breaths, or for half an hour if you have the time. But the healing benefits for both mind and body, just taking those micro breaks will just help with the healing. Okay. And that brings me to a close, so I'm just going to say many thanks. Thank you, Tim, for giving me your time. Thank you there, Sarah. Uh, so just while we're on a bit of uh, audience participation, just really loud, can everyone say yes? Yes. yes? yes. Can everyone say no? No. Can everyone say, I can think for myself? I can think for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work, did it? Uh, so our next guest is Neil Brown, and he's going to talk to us about three waters. I'm going to give you a, a talk tonight on three waters. It'll be fairly boring compared to what you've had before. But before I start, I'll just make a disclaimer. I'm not a member of um, Counterspin. I haven't followed them. Um, I only uh, am also non-political. Um, the only club I belong to is the local squash club. So, um, <laughs> so that's right. So I come to give you 101 on three waters and um, where we see it at. So, and then ask about for, uh, to present the pros and cons. Um, the Three Waters is going through a reform, and at Council we're not um, untoward towards a reform. We're, we're, we're happy for a, for a reform, we're just not happy with the one that they want to um, do at the moment, the, the government we've got at the moment. So there's two things going on with Three Waters. One is the reforming it, 
um, which is a reform. And there's also these, they've got this drinking water regulator, which seems to get mixed up with the actual three waters reform. And the drinking water regulator used to be the Ministry of Health, and they did it very, very poorly. And they set the drinking water standards for New Zealand on what levels of things you're allowed to have in the water and what you weren't, and what level of um, uh, chlorine you could have in and what you have, what sort of treatment you had to have, what the standards were. And they never did a very good job of a rule, so the council was sort of left to do what they thought was best. That has now changed. There's a um, the drinking water regulator was set up about eight, uh, 12 months ago, uh, Tomato ROI, they call it, and um, they are setting the standards, and they've got the standards and they've sent them out to the councils, and they're getting tougher. And um, because of the, and it's all because of the Havelock North um, water contamination up there that killed a few people, quite a few, and poisoned uh, water. Sick. A lot of people got sick because of it. So, um, oh, I'm not sure, 10, 20, something like that. There, there was a number out there, but it's, it's, it was not, not lots, but there was some. And, and some is, um, there shouldn't be any that die from drinking the water. There should be none. Um, but it, it did happen. So that's what um, toughened it up. So the government thought that the councils couldn't probably run their waters the way they should. So they've set up the regulator, which is fine. We're happy with that. And um, they've, um, yeah, and then they moved on and said, we want to take the waters off the councils, put it into four entities and run it ourselves which we're not that happy about. So the regulator, Tomato Y, also looks after the little water scale. It looks after all the water in New Zealand, all the drinking water standards in New Zealand. Um, the ones that are on farm, um, if you're just a single um, supplier of water to yourself, you're not under the regulation. But some people out there have a well and they'll share water with their neighbour. You will come under the regulation. So... Um, which is what it is. It's going to be expensive, and um, yeah, it is what it is. We need to have good, clean water. Another regulator they're setting up, which they haven't done yet, which they're going to, is called the Economic Regulator. And it's going to set what these new entities will be able to charge. But they haven't set it up yet, but that is, um, that is coming. Um, so what the Minister's doing with this reform is they want to take the assets off the councils and put them into four entities, um, A, B, C and D. And the entity that we would be in in the South Island is Entity D, which takes in the bulk of the South Island. Um, what's missing out of it is for half, sort of Blenheim, Nelson is out, and that would be an Entity C, which is the North Island. And the way they've carved the South Island up is in the Naitahu area. That's how they've um, worked. That. So in Ashburton, we look after the drinking water, the wastewater and the stormwater. And that's the three waters that they um, wish to um, take off us and um, put into this entity deep, which is the whole of the South Island, like I said, bar the, the top of the South Island. In Ashburton, our value of our three waters is over $200 million on, our, on the council's books. And we have a debt of about $30 million of that 200 And we spend annually on keeping it, um, doing the repairs and putting the, the bits and pieces we're supposed to put in to make it um, clean and um, test for the bugs and all those sorts of things. Costs us about um, $13 million a year to do all that. And it's about $800 per property who's connected to water. So under the proposal, and if we didn't join, if we didn't join and we left 
um, the war schemes. This is what the, the, the um, minister is saying. If we didn't join, in 30 years' time, with today's money, we would be paying $7,980 per property, and we, as I said before, we're paying $800 now. And which is about $90 million a year we would collect, or we wouldn't, someone would collect in the Ashburton district to run the water schemes. So if you look at $90 million on a water scheme that's worth 200, you'd be replacing the whole water scheme every two and a bit years, which the numbers just don't add up to us. And that's, that's happening sort of throughout New Zealand. They've got the, and the person, the people who got those numbers was the water um, body of Scotland. Um, Wix, they call it, water infrastructure, something of Scotland. So, um, so they gave them all the figures the council have, and councils in New Zealand have, and they come up with that number, which we dispute and say it's not right, can't be right, doesn't look look right. So, the towns that we have on water in um, Ashburton District is Ashburton, Rakaia, Methven. Oh, sorry, the other ones that are on wastewater. So they get the sewage. There's Ashburton, Rakaia and Methven. All the other little towns in the, out in the rural, they're all on septic tanks, so they look after their own wastewater. For the drinking water, is um, we have Ashburton, Methven, Rakaia, we have Chertsey, Drumore, Pakateri, um, Hines, Mayfield, Mount Summers, Montalto, which is a stock water, mainly a stock water scheme, and Methven, Springfield. And um, I missed Fenton, Fenton's on there as well. So the... Um, when they started doing this probably two years ago now, 18 months ago, two years, they said there's an options. You can opt in or you can opt out. But to opt in, they gave it the, carrot, the councils a carrot. So they said, we'll give you some monies to upgrade your water schemes, but you need to cooperate with us. <clears throat> and when we asked some questions about your water, and um, this was how they got the... The, the wax people to come and value the or look at their assets and say that's what it's going to cost. So we opened the books up to them on our water um, and wastewater systems so they knew what our assets were. So they said for that we'll give you some money and it's the Nashburton we got eight million dollars from the government for that and that was great. So we spent that on a um, big uh, sewer pipe which goes um, from Hempstead down under the river and up the other side. Superproofing um, the town for growth, which is um, fine, but we said we didn't want to take that money unless we had the option to opt out if we went through the process and thought that this is not for us. So that was okay. So we got to um, October, November, November last year, and the minister decided that um, they were going to take the opt out bit. Out. <laughs> so uh, everyone was now opted in. So they removed the choice, and um, that's what we and council and other councils around New Zealand thought. That's not quite how we um, agreed to do it in the first place. So um, the councils around the country got together, and was about uh, December of last year, and we set up a group called Communities for Local Democracy. And there's about 30 councils um, who have joined that. Some have joined and some have left um, for various reasons, but there's about 30, I think collectively about one and a half million people are in there. And um, <clears throat> we've 
uh, set that up to fight to three waters, I suppose you would say. And that's, um, yeah, that's okay. So what, and, but we'll also not fight it. We also gave them suggestions. We can, if you want to do this, let's do it properly. Um, we agree with some of the things you've got on there. We all agree. We all want good, clean drinking water. So there's a number one. We all agreed on that. Um, so we put a new proposal to the minister about uh, three months ago now, back in February, I think it was. And um, it was the first one was pause, just stop what you're doing. Let the regulator, who's just been set up, bring regulations in. Just let them run for two to three, four years with what they want us to do, and let's see if the councils can meet the new regulations. And we've said up to five years. Um, and then, if we can't meet our obligations under that new that, that water regulator, then we will look at joining with others to achieve the um, goal. <coughs> and if we got down the track and it wasn't working for us, which I don't believe it could, I think we could do a very good job here in Ashburton ourselves. We have done for the last whatever years. And um, we do have some of the cheapest water delivered in the country. Um, and we believe that we can still do that way. We've done our wastewater plants up. Um, there's always more work to do on them, but the go back 15 years ago, the wastewater from Ashburton used to end up in the Ashburton River. 15 years ago, it was put onto land and irrigated out. So we've done the, the wastewater work. We used to get our water out of the Ashburton River through shallow galleries for Ashburton Town itself. We've went drilled deep wells and we now get deep groundwater to supply Ashburton and we don't get it from the, from the Ashburton River at all, being a, um, a shallow source there. The other things we are not happy with the reform is the locals not having the local say. Um, so that was in the surround the, the governance, the structure and entity D. The um, structure that the um, government has proposed set up that will um, happen, and this is all due to happen, it's been mandated. It's due to happen in July 1st, 2024, that the government will take those schemes off us and they will be run themselves. So in Ashburton here would be an entity D, and the governance structure of that will be, there will be six iwi on um, the, um, they call it the Regional Representation Group, the ARG, six iwi and six councils, six people from councils around um, the South Island. So what those um, <clears throat> 12 people would do is they get to choose the directors of the company entity D who will run this um, water entity in the South Island. And those directors are um, responsible back to them. Oh, also what those um, 12 people will do is they'll set the statement of intent for the directors, tell them what we want, what they want done, and they'll, they'll choose those directors. Then the directors will report back to that entity of 12. And six AWE, six um, councils, um, it doesn't worry me. It's, um, as long as there's 12 people there, it's fine. We're all in the same cause, so they should all be working for the same thing. So, um, yeah, and the directors will be appointed, 
and as I said, they'll report back to the, um, that group with the KPIs they've got to meet. And those four entities will be the largest companies in New Zealand. They'll have assets of um, billions of dollars, um, which they will, to develop water schemes here and everywhere, they will be able to borrow against the balance sheet of them to um, enlarge um, water schemes and wastewater schemes and stormwater. So also looked at the, um, <clears throat> the pros and cons of the three waters, and there is some pros in there. And think about Fresh Burton, we got $8 million of um, government money. Then that we used that on a job we were going to do anyway. So it was free money for, for us here, really. There's another sweetener out there at the moment, and it's, um, they call it bed or funding. And um, they've offered the AIR Council $4 million, and we can use that not just on water things, but on other community um, projects in the, in the district. So we need to put an application in for that by September of this year. Um, which we will do because if someone wants to give you some money, you generally take it. But, but we will spend it on you. <laughs> but it, it's, it, if we don't take it, it will be spent in the district somewhere else. They will be giving the, the monies there. Um, and that money is to compensate for the transition. And the transition is happening. They are um, coming into councils and asking for information to, to, to trans have a transition, the transition to be transacted by the 1st of July 24. So they've started already. It has not gone through Parliament yet as legislation, but they have started. So, not yet. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with this. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the cons, they were the pros. The cons. They're taking, they're going to take our assets. And we lose those assets off our balance sheet. So that's um, a con. We would lose, potentially lose our local say on what we would like done with our water and wastewater in the, in the district. So we'd lose the local say. And the entity D would be borrowing the money instead of council. And I see that's, a, that's a, one of the, the cons. And another con is we believe we've done the work that we should have done in Ashburton. But there's other councils around New Zealand or around the SDD in the South Island who haven't done as much as what they should have and they're behind the eight ball and they can't borrow any more money off their council balance sheet. So we've done ours, they haven't done theirs, so they'll be probably first in line to get some upgrades. We would be subsidising others. Yeah. So that takes me about to the end of mine. Yep. I'll try and answer it, but I... Um, I'd just like to ask you, ask you a question here. I think it's on many people's minds here. Yeah. You said you haven't got an issue with six Ewe yeah. being non-elected and six councils being elected. Why are Ewe getting all these billions, billions upon billions in assets just for being Ewe? Oh, they, they, yeah, they, um, I, I don't know. Um, I'll try and be careful what I say. Sorry, but does anybody, does anybody <coughs> 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 
Let's do a race car. It's a real car. Yeah, the, um, the assets, the minister some time ago, same question, the assets being given to whoever was given to, um, said each council will get shares in this entity. So they've sorted out the ownership. The council's community will own it. The, the six iwi and six council, all they do is choose the directors and do the statement of intent. They don't get, those 12 peoples do not get the assets. That's all meant to believe. Well, that's not for me to say. What's that? Oh, well, we, we will keep Friday out. We don't believe, we don't want to lose our water assets here at Ashburton. We want to keep them as they are and abide by what the drinking water regulator says we should do. Cool. Thank you, Neil. Um, so we're, we're, we're running a wee bit behind schedule, so we'll get through it pretty quickly. But uh, our next uh, uh, speaker is uh, Kirsten. Uh, she teaches, she's going to speak on her experience of losing her job. Welcome to the stage. Okay, I was a primary teacher and I was mandated out of my job. Um, now, I've heard a lot of other teachers talk about the experience they had when they were mandated out of their jobs, and I felt that my experience was different from what most people have experienced. Um, my principal was very surprised when I informed him that I hadn't been vaccinated, um, we had weekly meetings discussing the situation and how we were going to proceed with it. I, my principal showed me letters that he got from the Ministry of Education saying he had to put extreme pressure on anybody who was not vaccinated to force them to be vaccinated. And now my principal said to me, I'm not going to put that pressure on you. This is the decision you have to make you know, you decide. Um, the Wednesday before our vaccination deadline, the school put on a farewell assembly for me. Now, most teachers did not get this, and most teachers felt really bad that they'd spent 10 years, 15 years, and there was no acknowledgement of the work that they had done. So. So they gave me a farewell assembly and presented me with a gift. It was done on the Wednesday because our school had a teacher-only day on Thursday and then we had Canterbury show weekend for the Friday. Um, on that Thursday, my principal said to me, I think you're really stressed, you need to go to the doctor you need to get a medical certificate. So I did that. I felt like I was a fraud because I didn't, I didn't consider that I was stressed. But my doctor gave me a two-week medical certificate and on the medical certificate it said that it could be renewed. Now I had 90 days of sick leave owing me. So that, I, I got it renewed, that took me to the end of the school year. Now, on the Monday, 
my, my class had talked to me on the Friday and they said that they wanted to do something special on the Monday seeing as I was leaving. Now this was another thing which was unusual. All the, most of the other teachers were told they were not allowed to discuss their um, position with the class and they just walked out on Monday night, no, no goodbye to the children, so on Tuesday the children arrived at school to find out their teacher had gone. So I, um, I talked with my class, they said they wanted to do a shared meal for lunch and I suggested to them that we could do some fun things that we didn't normally do at school for the Monday. So they chose to go outside and do sport, they chose to do artwork. Now they were things that we normally did, we just didn't do them often. Um, so we had a really good day on the Monday. Um, I had also talked, this was things I had discussed with my principal and he had, had agreed to this happening. Now, um, on, on the Tuesday, I wasn't allowed to be at school and sometime that week, my principal had another meeting with me to, I can't remember what we talked about, but he did say to me, I have just been informed that you could take a personal grievance case against me. Now, I knew nothing about personal grievance cases. You know, I had no idea of what legally I was allowed to do or what should have been happening. He didn't need to have told me that. And he said the reason I could do a personal grievance was because he had presumed that I was not getting vaccinated and so had given me a farewell um, um, assembly. And, and, I had, and he said, you know, you could have felt that you now could not have got vaccinated on the Monday because you'd already been farewelled and it was a done deal. Um, Now, the next thing that I did was in February I went to Wellington and I was part of the teacher's court case and I found that really interesting um, and that was when I discovered how different my experience had been to everybody else. The court case, the arguments were that the mandates had breached our human rights and there were the two human rights the same as the police and the armed forces. The mandates were not fit for the purpose because the vaccine was not stopping the spread of the virus. Social and economic harm outweighs the benefits of the vaccine and Ashley Bloomfield's power of exemption is unreasonable. Now, when Ashley Bloomfield was talking, he made the comment that he didn't understand why the teachers were taking the Ministry of Education to court as they were not employed by the Ministry of Education but the Board of Trustees and Principals of individual schools. Now, I had not realised that the Board and the Principals were our employer. If I had known that, I may have done things differently um, because I thought the mandates were coming from the government and the schools had no say in what happened. I thought we had to obey the government. Um, at the end of the last day of the court case, 
the judge said, I think there might be some employment court cases in the future. So he was almost, in hindsight, he was giving us a heads up of what should happen next. Um, when the judge eventually made his judgment, there were three things. He had a 60-page um, judgment, and things that I thought were important that I took out of it was, he said, it is the right to be free to refuse medical treatment. It is also reflected in the concept of informed consent that is central to the practice and ethics of medicine, but I do not accept that is, is an absolute right. And he also said justification existed in health and education sector for the mandates when implemented in October. And justification existed for the mandates as a school environment created a potential transmission risk. And he said, I do not accept applicants expert in evidence that there are safety concerns relating to the Pfizer vaccine. Right, this same judge said that the human rights of the police and the armed forces had been breached. And I have just recently heard that the government appealed that decision, and I have just recently heard that the government has dropped the appeal. And Matthew Haig, the lawyer for the police, said that in October, Minister Wood gave evidence that the public health advisers said the mandate was not required on public health grounds, but the government went ahead with the mandates regardless. And I've got the reference on, it's, it's on Facebook, but I've got the reference if you want to hear that. Um, now, I have some... Oh, I have got some personal concerns about changes in the curriculum that the Ministry is promoting in schools. There's changes in the health curriculum and in the history curriculum. During the last two years, the National Library, which holds all of our... Um, all of the books for, for uh, schools, and it also has all the books which are out of print. So every single book that's been printed in New Zealand that's out of print, they hold. In the last two years, they have been culling books which don't tell the story that the government wants told. So there is history books that they are pulling out and destroying, and they, they are the only place where those old books are. Um, now, the, the gender ideology that they're promoting is one of the things which I think is a concern. And I think if you are involved in schools, if you've got children in schools, you need to go to the Board of Trustee meetings. They are open to... Um, parents can go. Um, there, there will be times when they may be talking about individual children where they will say they're going into committee and they don't want you there. But for majority of a board of trustee meeting, 
you're allowed to be there. You need to ask schools questions about what they are teaching, all the curriculum areas. Um, homeschool. Yes, that's an option. Homeschool is an option. Um, I got, last year, our principal told us about the new um, gender curriculum that was coming in, and we didn't see it. I have looked at it since. If you go on to tki.org, that's the education site, and um, it, that's there, but you kind of have to know how to look for it. My principal told me that for five and six-year-olds, we were going to have to teach them that they were able to choose whether they were a girl or a boy. And as you get, as you get, I have seen what they're doing in America with this. And by the time they get to 12-year-olds, schools are giving them the agencies of where they can go to start hormone treatment or whatever, and they do not need to inform their parents. So, so in America, you've got children who are called one name at school, and when the school writes to the parents about the child, they're using different pronouns and different name to what the child uses at school. And if we go down the line America has, I think it is quite dangerous. So, so we need to be proactive, we need to get involved with our board of trustees and schools. Uh, thank you there, Kirsten. Um, so, well, just, uh, you're getting behind time, but that's all good. We've got heaps of it, um, sort of, just not today. Um, so our next uh, guest is uh, Frank, and he's going to talk about bovis and the impact it's had on his livestock. Yeah, good evening all. Um, probably I'm a bit the same as Neil. Um, I uh, haven't really had a lot to do with it, heard of it, but not a, not a lot to do with it. Good to listen to the speakers, but um, probably, uh, I don't know what to really talk about tonight, whether it's my mental health, which I've heard a lot about tonight, which is great. Um, doesn't always work. You can all say it works. You can all think it works, but does it? How do you stop your mind? We can actually breathe nicely. But at the end of the day, the thing is you start the computer in the morning and the MPI has got about another thousand questions. They just keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming. So um, in our case, the thing is, is that uh, we started off in uh, February 2018, um, where they first decided that they were needed to test that he's got the animals, so they started testing our herd, and um, that we, we were declared positive on the 12th of April 2018. Um, at that point, they just decided just before that, and well, no, it was just after that in May, they decided that they were going to cull every animal. That uh, had, uh, well, didn't have bovis, but every herd that bovis was detected in. So, at the end of the day, the thing is it's a microscopic disease, which is one of 238 microplasmas. Um, 
and it's a little fellow that they say is there one day and, and it is and, and it's not the next so you don't know whether you got it or not so in reality the thing is they found without testing they did our blood tests and our antibodies were high well not really that high we would have actually got a thing as if we didn't what actually happened they decided to take some milk tests on on some of the higher antibody cows and they actually found the dna of mycoplasmas so that just basically one cow finished us so in reality, over a period of, uh, we started, we culled first lot in um, May, second lot in July, and then the last lot didn't go till November. So, um, in all, two and a half thousand animals. Uh, and so, that's great for your mental health, isn't it? You know, so, I um, had a family, had a wife, with a lot of fingers. Um, my son and daughter all ran the farm. Um, Every time we had a meeting, the thing is that just ended up, the thing is that one or two or three were in tears, and you're trying to thing is to work through with these people. We generally only had one person there, the thing is any, I call him my little sparrow, he was our case manager, and uh, we'd go send him off with questions and, and he'd come back with bloody crumbs. You know, um, no idea, no real way of getting out of it. Um, we threw a lot together with things as uh, some of you might know, things as probably on the, on, the, on the face on the TV above. Spent a lot of time, and I was the first one to speak out. Now, in reality, and behind the other things I was told, I was told in no uncertain terms not to talk to the media when it started. I was told to shut up. So the thing is, we actually got a thing as a night, just said this is not right. So we actually got a turn around and I spoke out. Um, and so, we had a bit of media spoken, you know, the media was around all the time. They, um, and they told our story fairly well, and uh, in reality, the thing is, is, I agree, the thing is, the propaganda machine is, is an amazing machine. It'll just sort of things destroy any, any voice, and what actually happened is, each of us got picked on. I was of a, I was of a team of uh, about 15 people that went to Wellington um, to have a discussion with them about it. And in reality, the thing is, we all had individual problems. As you all know, dairy farmers are all quite different. We all do different things. <coughs> so everybody had a problem. So they would actually get you individually and talk to you about your problem. You know, so, hey, you were happy, you went home. The problem was, the thing is, it wasn't what the issue was about. It was the issue, when, and I felt when I went to Wellington, there was an issue about the whole lot, not just the one piece, not just my case. There's a hell of a lot of guys, the thing is, they've got, their, got screwed over, really. So, okay, we started, and the thing is, and every time we get the media, oh, we're, we're, we're getting it under control, we, we're serving the farmers and all the stats say the thing is, is everything's happening, we get all our money within another thing is 23 days or whatever it was, well, generally with ours, we put a zero on that. When our cows were culled, and the ones that were culled in, in May 2018, the thing is, we weren't paid for them fully. To a lot of things till July 2019. And then the thing is, the later ones, the thing is, it wasn't until the later ones in November, we weren't fully paid till the thing is till the 2020. We're still not out of that game yet um, because unfortunately, the thing is, is what happened with us is another, you know, I must go from bad things to bad because we um, we had bogus, we said, right, we've got to get going as quick as we can. So we went out and bought a herd. Um, and unfortunately, the thing is, we were due to pick that up the 1st of June, and on the 30th of um, May, 
it will be positive to both of us as well. So <laughs> screwed over there. So anyway, so um, so we still had to get going. So we actually went turned around and, and bought cows. Um, unfortunately, they were inferior to our old herd, um, and so we're actually in a process at the moment to figure out thing is what we've lost. So that we ended up fighting the way through. We ended up getting um, MPI to agree that the thing is the first three years I've had this this new herd. <coughs> Um, the loss of production I can go and claim for. So, um, interestingly enough, the thing is, is that uh, we've got a team that puts our cases together, and with that particular one, they've said, no, just send us all the information, we'll figure it out ourselves. <laughs> so, that's a bit of a joke, but anyway. So, um, and no, unfortunately, it was 12 months ago, we, um, our young stock, our first of our new new, new breed, the thing is, we bred ourselves to come back in the herd, the thing is, is um, they were out grazing and got it again so uh -huh. I was really happy about that but in saying that the thing is we never they never went any further the thing is they never got into our cows so it never came back to the home farm um, but in saying that the thing is the, the herd was tested and tested we ended up the thing is blood testing the herd things eight times um, came up with nothing but just you know like the thing is the cows now the thing is they get pretty nervous when you get close to them with a needle that's real so um yeah, so that's where we are with all that. Um, I don't want to really things go any more about it. Now they're saying the thing is we've, um, we've only got one left and that's the feedlot. At the moment, the thing is I know of four farms that are uh, going under intensive testing at the moment. Through their thing is because they test our milk every month. So especially in the spring and the autumn because when cows are in a, in a bit of stress, the thing is they, uh, the, the bug comes out. So apparently. Um, so... We've got the, the feedlot to go. Well, the feedlot, what the thing is, went positive in August 2018. Confusion, eh? All, all the rest of us had the other thing is shipped. We had a thing this year was uh, about 38,000 cows. So it kept cold in the first, got the thing is, first six months. So, you know, like in reality, the thing is, we've got, you know, about 10 or 12,000 animals down in the feedlot. Not being, but the thing is, not being cold. They're working through the process. They say they're going to go. We'll wait and see. The other thing is, is around the feedlot, every farm that is around that feedlot has gone positive yeah. in some way or another. Figure that one out for yourself. They say it's not connected, but I'm not, I'm not saying it is or not, but you can figure that out for yourself. So, my mental health. <laughs> Rural Sport Trust, you know, like, and that's, that's the big thing when, when they just cleared the thing is they wanted to get rid of Bovis. They uh, turned around and said, right, yeah, the thing is, well, the MPI will take care of all the, the, the animals and, and do what we have to do there, and the thing is, and we'll put the mental health of farmers to the Rural Sport Trust. The problem with that is the thing is, is that um, the Rural Sport Trust jumped on board at the start, but after three months they could see the thing is it was just going sideways. So we had a wonderful person called Cyril Butt, Sarah Barr, who um, was in charge of that. And um, at that point, the thing is, um, she decided to get out of it. It wasn't right. They weren't, but the thing is being honest. They weren't being upfront. And so we're probably in a place where um, they didn't want to go. Rural support was still there. They still help. Um, and if anybody says the thing is you don't need a council, the thing is uh, talking a load of crap. So I've been to a councillor, I'm not scared to put a thing say I'll go to a councillor. I need my weekly bit of thing to chat with my councillor. And um, at the end of the day, the thing is it's a, 
it's an easy, fast way when you get something going wrong that go going down. But the thing is, it's going back up. It's not that bloody easy. When you're in a hole, they say stop digging. Well, at the end of the day, sometimes that hole just doesn't stop, and you're not a, you're not the you're not the person that's digging it. So anyway, um, that's about my lot. The thing is, is I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm sick of bureaucrats out of Wellington. <laughs> The other part was, is, is any government that turns around and gives the pay, power for those sort of things, those bureaucrats that are around in Wellington, the thing is, is there is an issue. They always want power, and whenever you give them it, they love every minute of it. And I'm afraid the thing is, is there's an old program on TV, and I say it to everybody, the thing is, it used to be called Yes Minister, and that's exactly what happens. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that, um, Frank. So, uh, we're almost up to our last um, speaker for the night. We've got Stefan, and he's going to talk to us about deception and evolution. Thank you very much, Robbie, and good evening, everybody. Um, this evening, my wife, Debbie, and I... Um, would like to share with you our understanding of what is happening in the world and hopefully tie a few points together for you um, and your participation would be required. I think it will be probably um, self-evident as we go through the points that we mentioned. Um, one of the principles that I learned um, during my studies is the principle of definition which states that the more accurately a problem is defined the better the solution to the problem tends to be. So if we have an accurate definition of the problem, we can better solve that problem. Now I'd like to ask you a very important question, if I may. This is not a, a criticism, <clears throat> as we would both, as we've both been there ourselves. The question is, can a person be fully awake, yet be completely deceived? So that is a question for you. Yes. yes, and the answer is yes. So tonight we want to focus on the problem of deception. Uh, but first of all, life is an amazing adventure. And the most recent adventure that Debbie and I enjoyed together was spending one week in Wellington during the protest, sleeping in the back of the car and doing our Origin of the Nations presentation. Now we brought the presentation along with us. It's the one in the back there. And we've also brought some photographs and some other posters along and that you're welcome to have a look at. Um, now, I'd like to thank Counterspin for the excellent work that you are doing in New Zealand based on truth, courage, and freedom. Keep up the good work, and thank you very much. Now, we have a lot to say with very little time in which to say it. Since the picture speaks a thousand words, we've brought along some pictures for you. Although we are sharing with you our thinking, what you believe is far more important than what we believe. So thank you for journeying with us. The question is the origin of mankind. And this is a question I know that everybody asks, um, and you all have answers. But in my own journey, I've questioned the scientific proof for the origin of mankind as per the theory of evolution. So this is the theory. Now, many people know about the system of apartheid in South Africa, 
that we find that very few people actually know why the system was put in place. Our partner is based upon the understanding that some people are fully evolved, while other people are still in the process of evolving. Does that concept, um, do you understand that? So this makes some people humans and others subhumans. Now, this racist theory of evolution is being presented to the world as proven scientific fact. Now, the important question is, do you believe this theory? No. no. All right, so that's the uh, very important question there. So the worldview based on evolution. In order to understand the battle in the world today, we have to understand the foundational role that evolutionary thinking plays in our own minds as well as the minds of many of our leaders. So for example, in Nazi Germany, for example, the concept of an Aryan race with the elimination of the subhumans was promoted as the motivation that Hitler had for going into Europe. By defining some people as non-human, they can be eliminated or killed, such as the unborn being called pre-human and the elderly being called post-human. Under apartheid in South Africa, some people were considered as subhuman. Now, in the world right now, one of the advisors to the World Economic Forum, as we heard earlier this evening, is Yuval Harari. He promotes the concept of speeding up the process of evolution to create a superhuman race of people through technological advancement of the fourth industrial revolution. So again, looking at this picture, we're not looking at the pre-humans, we are now looking at the, at the more advanced people, and they are genuinely, seriously considering improving on the evolution of people to make them superhumans. Right, could we suggest you go and listen yourself to what this deceived man has to say about hacking the human DNA? Accepting our responsibility. Once we had become aware of this question of deception regarding the origin of mankind and the real history of the world, we were inspired to share the biblical worldview with all people of the world. So this is the biblical worldview, and the Bible tells us that the first two people were Adam and Eve. Their sons and daughters, nine generations later, Noah and his family went on the ark. A few generations later, the Tower of Babel, from where God confused their language and scattered them from there to all parts of the earth. And that's a very brief summation of the presentation that we do. As citizens of New Zealand, and as Bible-believing Christians, we have accepted this as our responsibility to share with all people. The bottom line is, our leaders need our help. From Francis, to Cindy, to you and I. And that's the board we've got at the back there that we do together with our presentations. Our intention is not to offend anyone in what we do, but it is important to speak the truth and for the truth to be made known to all. Um, so I will read one passage from, from Scripture in a few minutes about the importance of truth. Even though people are awake, they can still be deceived. Yes? Yes. Right. If we are hoping to rebuild society from the turmoil, deception and tyranny we currently have, then it would be good to understand how we got to this point in the first place. What are the principles of righteous government and how should we avoid making the mistakes of the past? So in 2006, 
we built a scale model of Noah's Ark and started putting together the origin of the nation's presentation, which we have been doing for the, in the public space since 2008. In 2011, we took the origin of the nation's presentation onto the streets during the Rugby World Cup and shared with the international visitors how all people on Earth are related. So we have taken this presentation to five nations of Southern Africa in 2017, as well as to New York in 2015, where we set up the presentation in front of the United Nations building, our 20 little flags against the backdrop of the 193 flags of the UN made a fantastic photograph. So those photographs are on the board back there. Um, we have taken this presentation to Wellington on three occasions now, um, inviting the members of Parliament to visit, and most recently um, during the protests at Parliament in February this year. We've also undertaken extensive correspondence with our people. The people we wrote to include our members of Parliament, school principals, the RSAs in New Zealand and Australia, members of the United Nations, churches, Her Majesty the Queen, Pope Francis, the Commissioner of Police, Governor General, and many others. We asked, by teaching the theory of evolution as proven fact in the science classrooms of our schools, are the Prime Minister and members of Parliament guilty of an act of sedition against the people of New Zealand, or have they genuinely been deceived by our enemies? So this is the picture um, that accommodates, or that accompanies all our correspondence. So this is a show to the two different worldviews, and it shows you why the theory of evolution is promoted so strongly. So based on the above correspondence of 10 or more years, as citizens of New Zealand and as ambassadors and servants of Christ, on the 2nd of May this year, we instructed the Governor General to dissolve Parliament. So there's a copy of our submission on the back, um, for, and the basis for that, for that uh, instruction. Now we have confidence in our Governor-General, James Simi Kiro, to do what she promised. Apart from all the physical um, attempts, is there a solution to the New World Order, the World Economic Front, or the Antichrist? The good news is that our Creator is even more committed, keen and able to solve all these and many other problems and he has been working on his solution for the past 6,000 years and bringing it perfectly to fruition. If you are not a Bible-believing Christian and you are wondering what the relevance of the Bible is for you, listen to what the Creator himself says. Um, see a little of the nature and character of God and how the Bible gives us an accurate description of exactly what we see happening around us right now. So I've got one verse that I'd like to share with you. And that is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 to 12. And it says, The coming of the lawless one, or Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracle signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth 
but have delighted in wickedness. And the question is, who sends the delusion? Who sends the delusion? Who blinds the eyes? That's exactly right. God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So there is a test of our heart. If we are willing to, to accept the truth, then our, our mind is renewed. Um, if we reject the truth, God sends a delusion. So, have we been at this or a similar point in history? More than 500 years ago, Bible students such as Luther, Huss, Wycliffe, Tyndale, and many others translated the Bible into the common language so that everyone could read it for themselves. Based on the prophecies of Scripture, the Protestant reformers identified the spiritual battle taking place here on earth and recognized the identity of the Antichrist. Many people believe that we are at this same point again today and that we need another reformation or awakening. We have produced a flyer addressed to all people called Please Help. Copies are available on the side table um, as well as copies of other flyers that are on the back table there. Thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to share with you our thoughts and suggestions. We are excited about the opportunities for the future. What is important is not what we believe, but what you believe. Good luck with your decision on the origin of the nations. Stay, stay wide awake and take heed that no one deceives you. Then we should all start solving the problems. Thank you very much. Just before I bring back to the stage, Hannah and Kelvin, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read. You know, this is, you know, like I've said, I've talked about mental health and that sort of thing. So I just want you to think, think, think about this. If you're struggling today, remember this. You have survived everything you have gone through up until this point. The best day of your life is still yet to come. There are still people you haven't met and things you haven't experienced. You can do this. No, bad, no matter how bad things are right now, no matter how much life sucks, no matter how many days you've spent crying, no matter how many days you've spent wishing things were different, no matter how hopeless and depressed you feel, you won't feel this way forever. Never, ever give up. Never forget how far you've come. All the times you've pushed through even when you felt you couldn't. All the mornings you have got out of bed and how hard it was. And all the times you've wanted to give up but fought through another day. Never forget the strengths you have gained along the way. Don't start your day with broken pieces of yesterday. Every day is a fresh start. Each day is a new beginning. Every morning we wake up is the first day of the rest of our life. It is never too late for a new beginning. You are not too old and it is not too late. Always remember to fall asleep with a dream and wake up with a purpose. We fall, we break, we fail, but then we heal we rise and we overcome. When you want different for yourself, you have to start moving in different ways. Old keys don't unlock new doors. The truth is, if most people really knew your story and all the things you've been through, 
they'll probably wonder how you are still smiling. So, if you don't hear it from anyone else, I'm proud of you. If someone is excited about something, and you make them feel stupid for being excited about it, you are the worst type of person. Confidence is silent, insecurities are loud. So that's my thoughts. Uh, thank you everyone for coming, and welcome back to the stage, Hannah and Calvin. It was premeditated, I actually liked it, that's what I said to him. Put him off. Right, so to sum up tonight's uh, events, it's pretty simple, they're coming for you. They're determined to kill you. They want your farms and they want your businesses through unworkable regulations and of course these SNAs which is significant natural areas. Remember the whole uh, push of you will have nothing and be happy? Ranks are one of them. Someone talks about government money. The government has no damn money. It's all either extorted off the public or borrowed off someone you can blindfold with dental floss. That's just a fact. Half of these people don't know how to count either. Because why would a country that went from being uh, money positive suddenly be so much in debt that we're having to restructure every two minutes, side shift assets that you will pay for, that used to be free, and all you have to do is pay a little bit for upgrades and maintenance, that's it. But now it's so unworkable and so much in debt, your rates keep rising. What's going to happen there? Rates rises and interest rates, your good houses are gone. This is, and what I said about they can't count, here's an example. They borrow some money. Cool, let's borrow 100 million. Because these guys here will extort and they can pay it off. Here's the problem you may get that 100 million, but how are you going to pay the interest? There's an interest component that's never created at the time of any loan or at any time in the future. It's a net deficit in every economy. That, does, that, that goes thousands of times a day. That's why you're losing all your shit. And it's designed that way. It's a systemic flaw that is designed to rip you off. Now, if you ladies couldn't budget, the house falls apart, right? So why the hell can't councils or government budget? Right. You extort the money, use the damn money. Don't try and borrow any more. No one gave you the uh, authority to borrow anything. Or take our stuff, or decide to give it to someone else. Now we always talk about isms. I actually had a talk with someone in Christchurch about this and he's dead right. The ism's the problem. Capital in and of itself is good. You need capital. Community. And people like to be social. When you add the isms, that's when everything falls to shit. So communism, capitalism. It's the isms that make it bad. People need to look into that more. So I get sick to death of hearing how the government, where the government's committed to spending 150 million on, no you're not, it's not your damn money. So you've got no money to give. Translated, uh, we're going to extort the public some more and we're going to waste shit. That's it. Because our overseas bosses told us that we have to get these plebs from being self-sufficient, free-range humans to battery farm humans. That's where you're going. Make no mistake about it. And no matter a lot of mentality is going to save your ass. There's the problem. We all keep waiting for someone else to fix it. We think we're going to elect someone and they're going to get in there and fix it. No. Why? Because they haven't learned to say no. No government, we won't do that. The only reason local bodies were created, because you used to have the old borough council system, that to me was probably one of the best. 
because you could get stuff done. A bulb could go out in the middle of the road. Bob would ring Bill and say, Bill, there's a bulb out. I'll go, go and change it. Goes down to the works, grabs a bulb, ladder, truck, boom. 20 minutes later, lights back on the street. Now, with these clowns restructuring, it's, can you go change a bulb? I would, but I've got to get a traffic management report, environmental impact report, I've got to consult the local bloody iwi, then we have to have full council meetings to decide to look at those reports, then we have to select a subcommittee to go and discuss it further, and then we have to put it out for tender, and then we have to get that back, and it depends on who gets the best bribes, we'll then give it to them, most of the time we'll ring the guy and say, hey, these are the tender amounts, come in a little bit better, and we'll give it to you. That's how it works. There's corrupt as hell. Everyone knows it. No one speaks it. Well, here it is. I'm speaking it live. Yes. So you can do what you, do what you want with that. But again, try and prove me wrong. Try and prove my maths wrong. You trolls. <laughs> and here's the problem. Local problems require local solutions. Wellington proved that. You leave politicians out of it and the people come together and they create what they want. Everything should be based on need and necessity. Leave wants and desires for some other wanker, I mean, person. <laughs> this, it's, it's nothing but greed. It's a few at the top. It's why our soldiers get sent to war, because the ones that would normally stand up and say, get stuff, this ain't gonna happen on my watch, they send to cull, cull the herd. And then we get left with these woke, Gender-confused pricks, you won't stand up and do anything. That's the reality of the world we're living in. And they will take your businesses, they'll take your community, and lastly, but surely, they'll come for you. And that's what's happening now. Sorry, I'm a bit of a... Well, on that cheery note... <laughs> I, I love it how when anyone says just like... When we all reference Wellington, we all know what we mean now, that great time when we all stood up and we all came together and we all realised that we could do it. I mean, before that, if you mentioned Wellington, it was just like, oh, we're talking about the beehive. We're talking Parasite about the, Palace. Yeah, Parasite Palace, where they don't actually listen to us. But now we've got this great memory of Wellington. So I think that's really awesome. Um, talking about isms, oh. one little ism that I've been wanting to just well, talk good about isms. briefly uh, is feminism. Now, feminism has destroyed the feminine and the female. Yep. Would you agree? So, um, and if you've been to some of the recent uh, talks we've had, you'll have heard me already say this, but, um, and I think I need to say it, and women, I'm inviting you to start speaking it and having this conversation, because if men talk about it, they get labelled a bigot or a sexist or misogynist. Uh, so it's time that we started talking about toxic femininity. Because we've been talking about toxic masculinity, uh, you know, since the 60s, 70s, and certainly in the 80s and 90s, and especially in the last 10 years, we're still acting as if women are victims to men. But I personally have not had any discrimination in my whole entire life because of the fact that I've been a female. And I am still a female, like a real one. She is. There's no short fights going on here. Just saying. So, what is toxic femininity? We all know what toxic masculinity is. It's obviously, you know, the violence, aggression, and 
um, domination control, all those things that apparently women suffer under daily, every, every day because they dare make their husband a sandwich or they dare do his washing. Like, why would you even do that in this day and age? That's so oppressed. <laughs> um, so it's time that we bring back the pride in being a woman and being the, uh, the pride in being a mother and the pride in raising our own children. Because I have worked in early childhood and it makes me so, so sad to see the amount of women that drop their children off every day from as young as six weeks old or six months old and they leave basically state agents to raise their children. And we've already had talk today about what the state is putting out in the curriculum and what they're teaching the children. And it's really time that girls are told that the best thing that you can be in life, if you choose to, because obviously it's still a choice, but to be a mother, to actually raise another child, another human being, and give them a sense of well-being, a sense of purpose, a sense of beauty, truth and goodness in the world. That is the most amazing thing for any mother. So this whole thing of um, girls or women only being successful if they reach the boardroom or if they reach the level of prime minister, that is a lie. That is an absolute lie. And women have been told this lie that they can have everything all at once, i.e. being a wife or a partner, a mother, and having a career. You can have it all at once, but you won't do any of them very well. You can only do two of them at once and do it well. And women and girls need to realise, as we, we all do realise this, but it's like we go through life pretending it doesn't exist, that we have a biological clock. So there's so many women out there now hitting, you know, early to mid, even to late 30s, thinking that, you know, oh yeah, it'll be fine, I'll just find someone and have a family and it'll work out. If you look at the rates of IVF and things like that, and, and it's not that simple. So why can't girls be raised to think that finding a good husband, raising a family in your, you know, early to mid-twenties, what is wrong with that? You can still have a career after that. You can still start a new career in your late 30s, early 40s, when the kids have gone to school. Or even, you know, in your late 40s you can start something. You've still got 20 years of working life. We're doing it back to front, is what I'm saying. Yep. Let's, let's work with biology, because biology actually exists. And speaking of which, I just wanted to leave you with one other thing, and I'm not going to go through the video, but check out on YouTube um, A Tale of Two Brains. Has anybody seen that? It is so hilarious. It is the difference between the male and female brain, and there is a difference because we are different. And the fact is that the far left want you to think now that there's no difference between men and women. And that's why they're trying to raise girls and boys to be confused about their gender. There is a difference. And I think whoever it was asked, um, is there anybody in the room that can have those moments where they can think of nothing? And the only thing that I'll say is that men have a much better job at it, because all women know. <laughs> and all we get right a reply. But 
all women know that time, you know, when their husband's sitting there in the chair and he just looks like, you know, he's just not thinking about anything and he's not doing anything and they're tapping him on the shoulder saying, what are you thinking about? What's going on? Are you okay? And he's just like, I'm fine. I'm thinking about nothing. Just nothing. And she can't work it out because her mind is always connected. It's like a ball of string where everything's connected to everything. And if work's not going well, then home's not going well, then I'm not happy and everything's, the world's going to implode. So it's just accepting the fact that there's a difference. Men do have a nothing box that they can just pull out and see and just sit there. <laughs> they compartmentalise everything and um, they don't understand that one thing connects to another. And they don't have that. I remember something you did 18 months ago that I'm going to use right now because you've just pissed me off. And then it escalates. Ball of string. Anyway, well, we'll have that conversation at home. Got a bloody time portal as well up there. But the point is, is that there is a difference between men and women, and I think that toxic masculinity has been talked about for long enough, and it's time we start talking about toxic femininity, and the best place we can look for that, an example of that, is our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. Not just toxic anything, I'd like to see masculinity come back and make it, you know, yeah. make an appearance again. Even a cameo performance would be fine. No, the only reason there's no hair here, mate, is because the brains are so massive, follicles can't stay in there. <laughs> and yes, it's a solar okay. panel for a okay. machine. Can I just say thank you so much? And I think my own experience and journey. The feminism has crushed our men. Let's start Yeah, we agree. We agree. I mean, I'm, I'm still one of those people who still believe chivalry's not dead. But you're trying to do that for someone and they look at you as if to say, you're mutant. Yeah. You're going to open the door, I can do it myself. Okay, bitch, do it yourself, you know what I mean? <laughs> So just on that note, and that's a massive problem with this country, is that feminism as an ideology, uh, its main goal is to suppress men and to destroy men and to destroy the family. So it's done a very good job here in New Zealand. Um, and of course the feminists will hate me for saying that, but um, it's true. And you just need to look at the family now. You know, there's no one at home when the kids get home from school in most families. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's psychological abuse. So let's, I'll just name a couple of things. Uh, toxic femininity looks like, and you can't see it. That was the point that I was getting to. Male, um, yeah, male toxicity you can kind of see. Female toxicity is psychological abuse, gaslighting, lying, that whole thing that Jacinda does when she's smiling and she's saying be kind, but meanwhile she's stabbing you in the back, that type of stuff. Um, and we can all see it now. I think we're, you know, in this room at least, I think a lot of New Zealanders still have to wake up uh, to it. But it's just that false facade, the fake, you know, and they're not genuine. And, and it's emotional manipulation and it's emotional blackmail and it's control through covert means. It's a lot harder to spot. It's a lot harder to call out. Uh, and and unfortunately, maybe it's just an evolutionary tactic that women have learnt to survive over the years. But it's time that women, that we start self-reflecting and how are we actually manipulating uh, the men in our lives, the children in our lives, the friends in our lives. And um, because there's a whole lot of really... 
uh, what, th th there's a whole lot of things even around motherhood that um, you know a lot of mothers use that whole thing as, as a control of their children. So it, it, we're basically in a Stockholm syndrome relationship with our prime minister, um, where you know a lot of us, not in this room, but in the rest of the country, have come to love their abuser. Uh, and that's the kind of dynamic that's playing out here. So, um, on that note... The man will have the last word. <laughs> but I just want to say one thing. I just want to say one thing. <laughs> and this is how it always goes. This is a ball of string. <laughs> and it's to uplift you all and to just congratulate you all for coming because it is darkest before dawn and it may look really sad out there and, and lonely and, you know... Because um, it is. Yeah, but you've all got each other, yeah. do you know what I mean? You've all got each other, you've got to keep having these meetings, you've got to keep uplifting each other, and without getting too woo-woo, oh, we, we are all here for a purpose, I believe that, no doubt, and um, they've got their great reset, we've got the great awakening, and this is the time of the great awakening, so if you're doing the work, you will get into the flow in alignment with whoever you believe the creator is, God, whatever, and he will give you everything that you need to bring it in and be part of the solution that is ultimately going to be us. Because there's only a few of them at the top. We've got the numbers, so it's only a matter of time. So stay strong. Um, you know, look for... Well, you're all looking for the truth. Could be a she. That'll explain a lot. You're all looking for the truth. Uh, work on your courage. And then together we will all have freedom. It could be a he, it could be a she. Transgender. <laughs> That'll explain a lot. That might be blasphemous to say that, but... No. Anyway, it's, uh, you go, finish up. One thing I've got to also convince our kids is that university is not um, something to strive for in most cases. Because all they're doing... Because let's face it, the war is run by degreed people. How's that working out for you? All they do is they go in that place, they regurgitate in a prescribed manner what someone else feeds to them and all of a sudden, pat on the back, certificate, and off you go. <laughs> go and destroy the world. That didn't hit you with my toxic masculinity, did it? <laughs> didn't mean to. I'll get there later. Ball of string. <laughs> but yeah, so I think our greatest resource, in all honesty, is our elderly. elderly. You put them with the children. Yeah. Yes. Cut out the middle. Cut out our generation. Our generation sucks. <laughs> We've stuffed this completely. Okay, sure enough, your generation started it, of course, our downfall, but, but we did nothing about it. So we've got to put the elderly with the children, and I'll tell you what, you'll have a much better generation than you've got now, without a doubt. Stop locking them in old folks' homes when the knowledge they have is exceptional. Number eight, fancy wire mentality, got to come back again. Kiwis know how to sort stuff. So let's just get back to basics because we have to go back in order to get a future. We're going the wrong way. So. so thank you to Perry. Thank you to Tony. Thank you to our amazing team. Thank you to all our speakers. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you all of you for coming. Thank you for the last word. Thanks, Richie, for being an amazing MC. <laughs> Thanks for the last word. So, colorsboomedia.com, go to the uh, Google Play Store, even they don't like Google, 
Download the app, that's for Androids only. We're discriminatory. None of you bloody iPhone people. <laughs> Idiots. Anyway. Um, we've got Tamaru on Thursday, Dunedin on Friday, Invercargill on Sunday, and then Queenstown and Wanaka next weekend. And the following weekend, we're going up the west coast to Nelson. So we're on the downhill slide. And uh, we've almost, well, yeah. yeah, we're up, but we've almost finished the whole country. Obviously. And if I get my way, we'll be doing it again. She won't give it away. <laughs> You get your way, because that's the call from the people anyway. So. If you get behind us and you make a donation, then we'll be able to come back. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video.